Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everybody. How are you? What's going on out there? This is The Other People Show. I'm Brad Listy in Los Angeles. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're doing okay. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. You can also subscribe on YouTube, follow the show on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, whatever is left of Twitter, Blue Sky. All right. So today on the program, I'm going to be talking with Kashayar J. Kabashani, author of the debut novel, I Will Greet the Sun Again. To write this book, I wanted to imagine a world, an upbringing, a, a coming of age where, although, you know, for, for Kaylin, obviously he's dealing with it in, in sort of secretive or, or quiet ways. But for me, there wasn't even, and this, this is what like astounds me so much. Cause I, I had friends who were out or, or maybe not yet, but had confided in me about their sexuality, about their gayness. And, and yet for me, there was like no context or language in my private world where that would be okay. All right, guys, that was Kashiar J. Kabashani. His debut novel is called I Will Greet the Sun Again, available from Hogarth. And I Will Greet the Sun Again is about a young Iranian-American boy who is growing up in the San Fernando Valley. This is an Iranian-American diaspora novel. The protagonist is named Kay, a young boy, his brothers, his mother, and for some of the time, his father are in the San Fernando Valley trying to assimilate and make a go of it in the United States. The father, I should add, is a very difficult man, an abusive man. And this novel tells the story of how Kay, the protagonist, and his family struggle to survive. It's also very much a queer novel about Kay's 
struggles to understand and come to grips with his sexuality as he comes of age. And it's a novel of triumph as well against considerable odds. This is a very moving debut about identity and belonging. And I had a great conversation with Kashiar. That is coming up in just a couple of minutes. Before we get going, I do want to remind you about my email newsletter. It goes out once a week. I would love it if you would subscribe. It's free. It's pretty straightforward. I will let you know in the newsletter each week about the latest episodes of the podcast. And I also share links to things that I've been reading and finding interesting. So if you want to hear from me once a week in your inbox, go sign up for the newsletter at otherppl.com or bradlisty.com. As well, if you would like to join the Patreon community, the other people Patreon community and support this show and help keep it going. You can do that at patreon.com slash other PPL pod. It's a sliding scale. You can get merchandise as you move up the scale and so on and so forth. So if you want to check out the other people, Patreon community, go to patreon.com slash other PPL pod. So once again, my guest today is Kashiar J. Kabashani. His debut novel is called I Will Greet the Sun Again, available from Hogarth Press. Kashiar was born in Van Nuys, California in 1992. He spent some time in Iran as a boy before ultimately returning to Los Angeles and finishing his education. He went on to receive his MFA at Columbia University in New York. And this is his debut novel. I'm very happy to have caught him here at the outset. And I'm happy to share our conversation with all of you right now. So let's get to it. Here I am with Kashiar J. Kabashani. And his new novel, One More Time, is called I Will Greet the Sun Again. Before we logged down, I was thinking about what it is that I <laughs> had hoped to to show in this novel or, or, or what, like, what was the engine of it? And I, I wanted to create a narrator who was willing and in, in his own voice. So sort of it's the novels told in the immediate present. We sort of follow him as he's getting older. And I, I wanted to, because I experienced similar things as to what, K experiences in the, in the novel, but the difference is K being I, the pro, K being your protagonist, the letter K. Protagonist, yeah, yeah, yeah. K being the protagonist. Thank you. And there's something about just like the propulsiveness of him, and also the, as you said, the experiences vary both, you know, amongst the siblings, with his mother, um, with the neighbors that he grows up. He, they grow up in, a, in an apartment complex in in Canoga Park, which is in the Valley, in the San Fernando Valley in, in Los Angeles. And I really just wanted to sort of render an, a narrator who's just like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna tell you everything that's happening. Like, isn't this insane? You know, that kind of, that kind of feeling behind it. And because for a lot of us growing up, we didn't have that, we didn't have that chance. And then especially when I discovered like, wow, I, I love, what writers are able to do. Uh, I'm impacted by it. I'm moved by it. I thought, I really want to, I really want to try that as well. I really want to do that as well. 
What are some books that moved you? Like, are there books that you modeled your own after, or there are writers who really set you on your course? You know what's insane, Brad? So I, I didn't grow up reading uh, or or writing, and so I came to I came to fiction when I say later. Like I, I reckon, you know, I'm 31 years old, so I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say I'm like old. But for I think for writers, there seems to be a trend where they were reading at a very young age and and or writing at a young age, which wasn't the case for me. So I bring that up because on one hand, there are certain writers and books that thematically or as far as like the identity of a writer. So Justin Torres's We the Animals was like really, you know, it was just like, I carried that book around like it, as if it were a Bible and, and uh, Ocean of Vong's On Earth We Briefly Gorgeous. But earlier we were talking about Tim O'Brien. Like when I read The Things They, is it The Things They Carried? Things We Carried. The Things We Carried. I, the storytelling of that and... Well, wait, and now, also, I'm, now, now I'm second guessing myself. It's the things we... The things they carried, the things we carried. I can't remember either, but yeah. it's one of those. <laughs> I think Tim O'Brien would forgive us. We, we're, we're, you know, uh, the book that, that, you know, to say this means a lot. And um, but even his his later works, the reason I bring him up is he showed me, and and, and this is this is my insight. So I'm not saying this came from his mouth, and um, but there's there are many ways to tell a similar story or like quote telling the same story over and over again, but from a different perspective from, you know, the stakes might, might be different. And, and these are all just, these are all things that I was moved by and that were instructive to me. Um, even if, you know, I've, I'm not a, I'm not a U.S. veteran. I don't, I'm not from where Tim O'Brien's from and haven't had the experience, but like, certainly if impacted me in a very profound way when I read his work. Well, yeah, you pick up stuff, you know, you pick up stuff from everything that you read. And I think if you're moved by a book, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to have a direct correlation to your lived experience. Sometimes it can be something aesthetic. Sometimes it can just be, uh, like some books unlock us. I feel like, like you mm -hmm. read certain writers and they just, you come away from their work wanting to write. Yeah, and, and I know that I heard you. I've heard you say on the podcast, and I and I agree with this. Like poetry, especially, does that for me um, because of yeah, the focus on on language and and imagery. Um, and so I don't write poetry, but I, I I'm looking at my stack of books here. Like read a lot of poetry quite often because I I'm amazed at what writers are able to do in such limited space um, and try to carry that into prose. I, I, I try to carry that into prose. So, okay. So you're growing up. When did you, did you, were you born in the, in the United States or you came here as a child? Was, was, uh, I was born uh, first generation American. So I was born here in the States after my parents had, had emigrated here. Okay. And grew up in the Valley. Grew up in the Valley. There's something really sweet and you have brothers like the narrator in the, in the yeah, novel. Yeah, Tilda brothers. There's something very sweet about the way in which the brothers in this novel earnestly want to assimilate and wrestle with their Americanness mm -hmm. and pick mm -hmm. up certain cultural affectations or they get really into basketball and like Lakers fans and you know what I'm saying? Like the, yeah. try, trying to kind of, and this is not something that obviously you would probably be doing if you lived in Iran. 
right, uh, you right. would not be cheering for Shaq and Kobe. <laughs> you know, maybe you would, but I mean, it's just less likely. Although, what, what, what was like a big shock to me, Brad, is is I, and this is like this is something I will be wrapping my like grappling with for probably forever because it's there's no clean cut answer. Like, well, let me just sort of start with what you said. Um, yeah, Kay and his brothers from very early on in their lives are not only wanting to assimilate, but there's like a kind of desperation to it. And I think they don't, they didn't really from early on for several, a multitude, a multitude of reasons, like have much support or even safety to connect with their Iranian roots. And, and, and that's obviously reflected from as you said earlier, like the effect of diaspora on the parents and how that's passed on. Um, but similarly, like when I went back to Iran, there is this reverence for uh, Americanness and American culture, like even down to specific things like basketball or TV shows, or I was like, like anytime I would get into a taxi car and they would, you know, when I speak Farsi, like it's clearly I have an American accent. Light up, like couldn't people like felt like they won the lottery because they picked up an American, an Iranian American passenger, yeah. you know? And so I, it's like, it's so interesting uh, that there's that similarity as my, you know, and, and in the book that like Kay and the brothers have, is they're like so desperate and hungry for Americanness. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You think about America and it's, you know, easy to have a complicated relationship with America. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And one thing you cannot say about America is that it has done a bad job of exporting its culture. I was going to say, I think we're just talking about like the the propaganda and the agenda that's been there all along. Like it's no, it shouldn't be much of a surprise to me that it's reached Iran. But I'm saying it's a hit. Like, I mean, it's like yeah. sports entertainment movies music rock and roll i mean all that stuff travels well and in some ways that's really cool you know i don't think it's all some sort of um you know it's all, not all some sort of propaganda strategy some of it's just like rock and roll sells around the world you know people want whatever is embedded within that uh, art form and i understand and it. even historical narratives like the um the writer uh and i think it was on your on your uh, uh the sympathizer uh, where he talked about like even the the Vietnam win. You're talking about Vietnam yes. win, the Pulitzer Prize yes, winner. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yes. Um, the the film narratives around like World War Two, Vietnam War, Korean War, like, and and when that when those films are disseminated across the world, like, it even sends the message to the rest of the world of like, America's the reason World War II, you know Hitler was put to an end you know it's like there's so much other things that were going on but through film and through these blockbusters like that's the that's the takeaway it's like wow it's tom it's hanks tom hanks saving private ryan <laughs> you know and you know it's another it's what it's bringing to mind and this has a line to your novel is uh, i remember reading this was in the early aughts in the aftermath of 9-11 when the war in afghanistan and the war in Iraq were unfolding. But I want to say I read somewhere that even among like the Taliban, like Rambo movies were hugely popular. So among 
among That's like chilling. yeah among you know uh, groups of people who have enormous antipathy for the United States and like wish death to America and all this stuff like they love a good Rambo movie you know happy to sit there and like cheer for Rambo so you know these things they can bridge almost any divide right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so you're born in the in the states you're raised here uh, first generation. And something that your novel draws really well are the sacrifices that parents have to make mm. when they're trying to get a foothold and they're trying to get their kids educated and they're trying to just survive. And the mother in this book really is an easy character to root for. She is raising three boys, mostly on her own, working very hard and you know, forging an identity and a path for herself that she could never have forged in Iran. That's right. That's right. I have to, I was, uh, on, was it on Wednesday, on Tuesday, there was a, a launch event here in San Francisco. And that, that was something that I spoke to, which is like, in a way, a, to, a, to your point, like forging an identity that she couldn't have in Iran. And, and B, it, it, it kind of, it feels like when I, when I look back at the book and read her, she's having her own coming of age. Like, so there's, there's K's coming of age and his brothers, of course, and it's first person, you know, narrator. But I, I also see that for Maman, who's the mother character. I see her having her coming of age. No doubt. No doubt. And it's, it's a little bit heartbreaking to think of the ways in which the quest to survive, it prevents her from being there with her children in many situations you know she's working on new year's eve i think at one point in the book to get the to get the time and a half uh you know hourly pay she's trying to get educated on top of it to sort of move up the ladder and have more options career-wise but those kids you know the kids are latchkey you know in many ways they're sort of on their own they're a little bit feral right out there in the valley (laughs) uh which is you know I, i have some nostalgia for that almost the freedom that children used to have uh you know that i grew up with where we could just kind of go outside and play and sort of get into trouble uh your own little kingdom right yeah. that's the way it feels like for the boys in the book like they're carving out like whether it's the you know the parking lot uh you know uh behind the complex or like the water or the la river like it to them when you're that age you know it, the world feels even if it, even if the world you're growing up in at one hand feels claustrophobic i feel like for the boys it also feels like we've got we've got everything we need here it's all an adventure at that age yeah. Right. Yeah. You can find you can find ways to have fun almost anywhere. And, you know, there is the I think this book is a, it's it's divided into three parts, right? Three sections or three acts. Is that right? You, you know, there there are there are four sections, but but it, I do see it as as three. Acts. Yeah, there's life for Iran and then we're in Iran and then life after Iran. So yeah, definitely. OK, so in the in the first section, we're kind of seeing you know, these early days in uh, Southern California, these early days in Kay's life, his father is there. The father is a complicated character, uh, to say the least. And, you know, it, it brings up issues, this book does, of masculinity, uh, n- not only in terms of Kay and his brother's coming of age and them trying to sort of adjust to their masculinity and grow into it and figure out what it means for them individually, but also I think there has to do or there, there is a lot to do with uh, masculinity as it relates to 
Iran and being Iranian mm. and what the difference is between being a man and a woman, I guess, you know, in Iran versus what it means to be a man or a woman in the United States. There are pretty dramatic differences. And I feel like in the father character, we see those those differences at play and we see him struggling with those. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very, I think that's a very generous read, which I, which I agree with is, is the father character is grappling with it and internally between, you know, and, and this is more of like imagining what, you know, cause we, we meet him as a father. So imagine what his upbringing must've been like, and then, and, and to your point of like what that must have been like in Iran, but then he, he comes to New York to study and w- what that awakening must have been like for him. And then, and then the sort of cultural expectations of what it means to be a father and, 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 you know, uh, to be, to be Muslim, you know, in addition to being Iranian. So there are all these like threads that are informing his lens of the world and of course that impacts the children and and further complicates it for the kids so why don't we have i I would love to have you just if you can give listeners sort of broad strokes overview of the father character because there's there are certain things about him you know like his work history or lack thereof his relationship with his sons his uh relationship with his wife the abuse that he unleashes on them like right that's am i missing anything big like there's a lot that he embodies and uh his his impact on this family is enormous and not not great yeah i think the only other thing i'll add is is because this is something that Kay is sort of especially in the beginning of the book that he's contending with there, there seems to be a like a like the father is creating his own his own identity or trying to craft like like you said like this uh educated person purportedly educated and yet isn't working and is is gambling and yet is also celebrating how much he knows about the father how much he's telling us how much he knows about the world and so i i bring that up because i think for Kay, it's hard for him to even like pin down like who the fuck is this guy actually because he's saying one thing but like we're living in this tiny ass place you know we're struggling and that doesn't add up to what i'm being told my father is you know yeah he's Um, not on the level uh, you know and he's i think i just sense a lot of like thwarted ambition and bitterness in the father character and also maybe this like deep sense of dislocation like how did my life end up here and i can't it's like he can't adjust maybe and there's some like rage about that that isn't that isn't fully yeah, I really expressed wanted to speak to that because i think that's maybe nuts i mean uh, like every experience on one hand can be can be a common experience but i i know there's i've definitely seen um in literature and, and amongst even friends like the, the the immigrant story where we're and I'm using quotes like the American dream is realized. But I was I was I was really interested in sort of crafting this father character in, in, in a way where he is, you know, and this is 
you know, he's, he's leaving Iran and this post revolution Iran, uh, all of these changes and shifts that happen that one would think like, to use a canned phrase, like, great, I, I, I made it out. Like I escaped and now I'm in this country where if I work hard, I can have all this, all this glory. But I, I wanted to sort of show like what happens when the, the formula and all the ingredients one needs to make that possible are there, but like something goes awry and what's the result of that. And, and to your point, yeah, it's like some bitterness and resentment and sort of, um, also one thing about the father that trips me up is like, he's not just feeling the impacts on his own life, but he's, there's this kind of insistence to, to take from, from his family, like in, in more than one way. Um, uh, and, and so I, I really wanted to show that it felt like an honest depiction of, of one aspect of the immigrant experience. Yeah, I'm just feeling, yeah, it feels human. And I think sometimes when somebody's really bitter and angry and, and has maybe self-loathing too, mm-hmm. that it winds up expressing itself in uh, like maybe some unexpected ways or in these kind of sideways ways, yeah. you know, it, it comes out in, in, in different behaviors and you see that in this book where there's almost like a revenge or something. I don't know. It just strikes me as very psychologically astute that, that this would happen. He's well-drawn as difficult as he is to read about. He's well-drawn. And in the second act of the book, he takes his sons back to Iran and just as a uh, logistical matter, uh, and forgive me for not knowing this, but I've never traveled to Iran. For somebody who's in the Iranian di- diaspora, and you know whose parents left the country and came over here and naturalized or whatever, going back and forth is relatively easy. Like it, it doesn't strike me as an easy country to travel to, but I wouldn't know because I've never traveled there. Yeah, and and and, and like uh, many things, like. Uh with so it it all is contingent on what your relationship if you are somebody who wants to travel back to iran after having left um depends on what your relationship was just talking with somebody last night who their grandfather had worked for the shah and so they could never uh, they, they had to flee. They were refugees. There's not only that, but like even down the line, like they'd never be able to return safe, you know, safely for others. If they weren't politically involved, if during their time living abroad, whether in Europe or United States or elsewhere, if, if they are involved in journalism or any kind of work of truth telling or anything close to it, then, you know, they also can return. But if, uh, in this case, the father, you know, unemployed, was working as an engineer. There isn't anything for the regime to kind of like spot him out and be like, "This is your, you know, you're you're on our list." Essentially. So wait, uh, so wait. Now that you've written this book, would you be on a list? Like, is this? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I can't go back. Yeah, that was one thing. I uh, that was the one thing that I was very aware of. I mean, I. Yeah, it, it, I'm not. You know, I'm not like. Uh, my face is on every poster or anything like that, you know, but if, if it did come up through customs and there was some search about what this book entails and, you know, especially the queer aspect of it, like, yeah, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be a good situation for me. Yeah. 
No, I can't. I can imagine. So, as a child, how many times did you go back to Iran? So there was. It was early when we were there when um, uh, my father wanted us to to live back in Iran. So there was that, and then later on, it was just before, either just before or during. I'm a I'm a dual citizen, and so he, um, when um, when uh, Trump passed the Muslim travel ban. I think I was, so that would have been 2017 or, um, I, I was, that was the, that was the time I was there for the last time. I, my, uh, my grandfather, whom I was like, so, so close to, and had such a strong connection. He, his health was failing. And I knew like, um, you know, I had been 20 years prior that I had seen him and I was like, I, I, I didn't want, I want to go back to that house and, and be with him. So that was, that was the last time that I was there. How did you maintain such a close connection with him? If you never got, you know, you didn't really go back to Iran much. Were you just talking on the phone or just, no, just more so like memories of, of what he had done for, for my brothers and I, and, and also, um, also over the years, like with, yeah, with, with technology, like his, uh, his, his son or one, or where my mom would travel there and be with him. Uh, she, you know, she'd hold up the camera and we'd be able to, you know, chat over video and things like that. So this was your maternal grandfather. Yeah. And that's the last time you can't really go back now. Uh, uh, and, and in addition to all that, so like not, there's not just this book, but even when I did go, so as a dual citizen and as an Iranian male, you have to serve in the Iranian army, but thankfully, cause I must have been in undergrad at the time or, or graduate school. Like you can through the Iranian embassy in DC, you can apply for and kind of like a permit and say, um, yes, I'm supposed to serve in the, in the Iranian military. However, I am American. I'm Iranian American and I'm in the States doing X, Y, and Z. I'm a student and I'm coming to see my family and they, they grant you a window of time. Uh, not always, but some people, and some people, uh, um, they say like Sarabas, is like, you can, you can pay to, um, have be exempt, but, uh, it could be quite a lot of money, which I didn't have. And so I went kind of the more bureaucratic traditional way of, uh, applying and, and was granted the permit. Yeah. I don't know if you want to serve in the Iranian army. That doesn't sound fun. <laughs> no. Yeah. So the. Any, any army for that right. matter, right? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's no joke. So the, uh, the boys in this novel go back with their father to Iran and they're kind of re-dislocated, right? It's like now they're adjusting mm -hmm. to being on the ground in Iran after sort of calling the estates home and being familiar with their life in the Valley as like feral children or whatever, <laughs> and, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not exactly easy to call the Valley home, uh, because of, the conditions and things like that so it, it it does sort of like double down like it's like you thought that was it you thought that didn't feel good like wait until you arrive to iran and you're like all this stimuli is coming at you you know uh so there yeah it's, it, i see a, I, like my heart goes out for the boys i'm like God, that, that's fucking rough. it's dramatically different to be i mean like yeah. from the valley to iran i have to believe you get off the plane i mean it's like you know you're somewhere else yeah, that was the, you know, and, and as, as writers will often say, it's like you sort of connect with certain senses. And for me, I, I just couldn't get over when I remember back and I pulled from this to sort of 
bring it into the novel is like the burning sensation in your nostrils from uh, when I talk about pollution, I'm not talking like Los Angeles certainly has its fair share of, of, you know, the poor air quality, but like tears coming out of your eye, you know, especially for that's the way I remember it as a young boy, like upon st- stepping on the, the tarmac or whatever. And so in, in Tehran, kind of, uh, it's, uh, it's sort of an Esfahan. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, south of Tehran. So, yeah, I wanted to kind of use those senses to sort of depict like not just the all the other shocks of it, like for Kay to be away from his mom, uh, to be away from yeah what he calls home, and and his, from his friends Johnny and Christian from school, uh, but but even just like the literal senses of being in the country of Iran and, and what that means for him. Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know, and you alluded to it earlier, and I think this is a good time to talk about it because I think it's where the issue um, is most dramatic, and it's the queer aspect to this novel. Mm -hmm. You have Kay, the protagonist, who, as he comes of age, is exploring his sexuality and sort of figuring that part of himself out and then you also have uh, his father who sexually abuses him Mm -hmm. in Iran Mm -hmm. who I think might be struggling with his sexuality or in some ways and then you have an aunt character who I quite like uh, in Iran (laughs) who I think is closeted or is living kind of a secret life as a lesbian right yeah I think you know I, I, I like to kind of think of her as I, the the second adjective as as secretive because um even for 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 Kay and and others like in you know uh late 90s early 2000s Los Angeles like definitely replete with homophobia and and violence um so not to say that being out in the states was any easy feat but whole different uh what is it fish to fry in in, in Iran if you are 
I mean, I think we just we just lost uh, yet another innocent life that was murdered for being outed as queer in in Iran, um, and and so so for Khale for the aunt character in Iran, she it seems she wants to communicate this with Kay because perhaps she recognizes that part within him. Um, and yet she knows like, it's not something that she could announce uh, for the risk of her life and, and, and possibly endangering her nephews. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, like the California side of things and how in the late nineties, early aughts, it was not easy to be out and it was not necessarily safe to be out. And considering how much has changed over the past, what, almost 25 years, I guess, like it's been a time of incredible change culturally in terms of uh, the way in which gay culture is uh, perceived and gay marriage obviously was legalized over the past 25 years. Like a lot has shifted culturally where I think there is a greater acceptance, not saying that there isn't still a ways to go or that there still aren't problems, but right i mean it's been a lot of change but it yeah even like i remember you uh in your interview with uh carmen maria machado where where and it was so endearing because and and and, and in, in a way like part of my own uh queer education where you're like you said to her like so i'm a, i'm allowed to use the word queer when describing you because like she had identified as that you're like growing up we that wasn't a good word to you no. it was it was pejorative it was derogatory yeah it was yeah, yeah 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 and so yeah so you know but I think it's easy, especially living in Los Angeles, which is a pretty tolerant place, comparatively speaking. You know, you compare it to like Tehran or you compare it to, you know, certain towns in the American South or whatever. Like Los Angeles is pretty accepting. San Francisco, New York, like these bigger cities tend to be easier places for queer people to exist. I know I'm painting with broad brushstrokes here, but do you agree or no? I both I both wholeheartedly agree, and then I also, um, you know, when we look at like the the shootings that have happened at gay clubs, or or I'm here in San Francisco, and a few months ago I was leaving a gay bar, had a wonderful night of dancing, and this person out of nowhere, uh, as I was waiting for the train, approached me and you know told me he was going to kill my faggot ass, you know, sorry for using the epithet, but it's like as in san francisco you know um and so I, I, like you said i could only imagine other places but i think it's important to sort of rec like to me i i don't i don't feel safe sort of when i'm out in the world like I, i'm gonna continue to be who i am and i'm not gonna hide from that but at the same time like i'm always, i'm gonna be looking over my shoulder and i'm and, and especially in in gay spaces because of the shootings that happened and Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But with that being said, like for somebody from a generation prior to mine, like what they had to contend with and what they were dealing with, yeah, I, I can't even begin to imagine. Yeah, I think I've told this story before. But when I first moved to Los Angeles, uh, the first place I lived was West Hollywood, and I didn't know Los Angeles. I had no idea that I like. I moved into this little duplex, and I was like, oh, this is a great little neighborhood. Like people seem to like take care of their yards. You know, it's like. <laughs> just seemed like a nice place to live. I was right in Boys Town, or like, that's what they called it back then anyway. And I remember like the first week that I lived there, I was walking my dog right along Santa Monica Boulevard and this car pulls up at a light and this guy sticks his head out the window and calls me a faggot. 
and he was like, fuck you, faggot. And I was like, I looked behind myself. Like, I'm not gay. <laughs> I was like, did, did I do something? You know, like, I thought like I had cut him off, you know, and then like I had to put it together. I was like, oh my God, like I live in the gay district or whatever you want to call it, like in LA and this, and it's the only time anything like that ever happened. But there you have it. And then there was a man in the neighborhood within the first year or two that I lived there who was badly beaten with like a pipe. Like there was, a, See what I'm talking yeah. About? So like, like that stuff, but it, you know, I haven't heard anything like that since then. Not that it hasn't happened, but I'm just saying, like, in my head, I think I was like, oh, hopefully we've moved past that, and there's greater tolerance, and those sorts of things happen less and less. But still, a long way to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially there seems to be some like really sadistic element about people targeting communities like West Hollywood or, or the experience I shared, I was in, I was in the Castro, which is in, similar in, in sort of the feel that, that West Hollywood has. And, and, and so it's like, are people coming in, you know, to like knowing that and to target, you know, it's like, we're, I'm not even coming into, I'm not coming into your space, man. Like I'm, I'm doing my thing here. Uh, and yet you're, it seems to be that we're being targeted, which is insane. Yeah. No, it, it is insane, and it's de deeply sad. And you know, I you know, as you kind of we were talking about earlier, to be a gay person in Iran is a whole different ball of wax, right? Like you can't be out. Yeah. There's no gay clubs or gay neighborhoods. No. I mean, it's got to no. be completely. I mean, I'm sure it's happening, but like, like not you know, not on the surface. Like, but imagine the, I, I imagine the terror. The day-to-day -day tension of living as a gay person in a place like Iran or what's the country in Africa? Uh, is it Senegal? Where they have these like horrific anti-gay laws and if you're like caught, you know, being gay, you're essentially, it's like the death penalty. You know, like these sorts of like really punitive, yeah. intolerant places to have something fundamental about who you are be illegal mm -hmm. to the you know, to being punished by death or incarceration. I mean, to carry that every day is quite a lot. I, I often, um, and, and this kind of, I think with, especially in the second half of the book where, where Kay is like attempting to act on those sexual desires or, or to, to what you just brought up about being in a, in a place where if you do that, your life can be, taken i'm i'm uh paraphrasing a part of an interview that james james the writer james baldwin had but he 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 said this thing about like if if you erode a person's sexuality you take away any chance for them to love down down the line and you know he was talking about how, like how, when you're coming of age you obviously it's much more uh impulse it's much more carnal but if you're if you're not given the chance to experience that and to act on that and to have a relationship with that, then you can never get go beyond and say, okay, I I, I want to. There's there's also more here and to, to my sexuality. I want to I want to love, uh, whether it's an intimate partner or other community members, uh, and that to me, I th when I look at whoa, this this like willingness for K to against sort of the circumstances that he's in to like insist on acting on them. I'm like, Oh, he, he's wanting the chance to, to love and be, and be loved. 
No doubt. And I mean, it makes a lot of sense uh, hearing you say it that if there is an enforced repression on people in this fundamental way, then of course it would thwart their human development. Of course it would. I mean, and it's going to, it's not going to be great for them. And it's, and ultimately it's not going to be great for the rest of us to have people walking around in this state of uh, repression and being all locked up, uh, you know, in terms of their core identity. It's like, it's inhuman. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because then, yeah, to your point, like what are the violent ways some may respond to that, to that repression within themselves? So you're right. It's not only impacting them, but possibly those around them. So growing up in Los Angeles, you know, coming of age uh, in, in a family that's part of the Iranian diaspora, like what was it like for you, like coming to grips with your sexuality and realizing that part of yourself and figuring out ways to express it or having to hide it or, you know, can you just talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah, you said hiding, man, like, and that's what, that's why I think was like a big impulse to write this book i wanted to imagine a world uh an upbringing a, a coming of age where although you know for for Caden, obviously he's dealing with it in in sort of secretive or or quiet ways but for me there wasn't even and i and i and i and this this is what like astounds me so much because i i had friends who were out or or maybe not yet but had confided in me about their sexuality, about their gayness. And, and yet for me, there was like no context or language in my private world where that would be okay to act on that. So it's hard to look back at those years because I acted in, you know, violent ways. I, I was hurtful um, because of the inability to access certain parts of myself. So when I, when I look back at that in my own personal life, it's yeah, uh, a lot of, a lot of devastation there. And, and, and yet, um, getting the chance to imagine, uh, a narrative where that was a reality, uh, was very gratifying. Uh, even though in the novel, there are obviously, you know, several challenges that come up. So you were violent. Yeah. Yeah. Like just getting into fights with people? Not people. And this is where it's like, this is the saddest part with my closest friends. And isn't that true? Like we, we, we you know, first there's that like, you know, phrase, you know, hurt people, hurt people. But in, in addition, like maybe because I was too much of a, of a coward to go out and pick fights with strangers, like I would do it with friends that I felt safe with, you know? Um, and, 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 you know, not like, uh, when I say violent, I, I, I mean more so, which perhaps is even more violent is like an emotional way, right. you know, right. um, it's not just like bashing in somebody's head, you know, it's the words we choose, the decisions we make within friend groups, you know, bullying, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, I get that. I think when people, if it's when people are in, you're intimate with them, they know you, they might not know, yes. they might not know all of you, but like you say, you feel safe to like vent a little bit in their presence. And that can be toxic and difficult for the relationship. And, you know, we talked about the father character and how his abuse, his sexual abuse of Kay, uh, and just the way that he interacts with his family, the way he abuses his wife, 
you know, all of these things are kind of proxies for uh, his inner hurt and turmoil that isn't properly expressed. And then you're talking about yourself getting into this, uh, these situations with friends of yours where you're emotionally violent or physically violent or whatever it is. And it just occurs to me that when a person is acting out or expressing rage or being difficult in some way, it is often like one or two or three steps removed from what's actually bothering them. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? The way that we get missed, like the way this stuff gets misdirected, like you'll have somebody like, why am I thinking of like, you know, you could be doing something as, as goofy as like playing pickup basketball and somebody's just getting like super intense on the court and throwing elbows or getting into a fist fight or something. And in truth, there's something happening at home that is really bothering them. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? It's a, it's like a proxy, this basketball game. Well, well since, you, since you bring it up, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a, you know, that's like being on the metaphor too hard, but I feel like that's an alley-oop to talk about how in, in the novel, like between Kay and his older brother, Sean, like they, they, they're playing ball. There's one game, you know, there's one scene in particular where they're on the court and, you know, the game heats up and it ends like in a very, Kay ends up acting and behaving in a very violent way. And yet this is like, you know, a few years after they've gone back from Iran and they haven't, the boys haven't had the chance to talk about a being taken to Iran, but be like what happened when they were there. And then it, that's their language of, of talking is, is or for Kay is his experience is, is through that violent act. Mm. Well, that's the way trauma expresses itself a lot of times too. And Kay has certainly been traumatized. It's a, it's a, it's a tough thing to carry. And yet in this novel, I mean, I guess there are abusive acts by the father that maybe aren't so uh, flagrant. I mean, well, there, there's the, the abuse of the mother, but there's also kind of emotional abuse or psychological abuse. And then there's this act of physical sexual abuse. But in the, in the narrative, it's isolated, right? I mean, it's because they're in Iran and then they leave Iran and they leave the father behind. And so he can no longer, he can yeah. no longer inflict this abuse. And yet the aftershocks of it uh, obviously stay. You know, yeah. you don't just, you don't, yeah. just because it was an isolated incident doesn't mean that it doesn't exert powerful influence over Kay's interior life and his emotional and psychological development. Something like that happens to you. You're dealing with it in some sense for the rest of your life, right? Yeah. You know, I, there's certainly a, a lot of, and, and maybe we've, 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 moved beyond this like as a as a culture I, I, and i mean both like american culture but also you know within the iranian community of to your point of like like i think i'm even like quoting from memory like what i've been told within my is like that was that was then or that was there you know um and now and, and so like keep it keep it <clears throat> there and i think that's something that definitely the the boys and, and definitely K certainly K is is contending with like because it and but, but his brother Justin like has you know like endures you know uh, an incredible amount of abuse from the father as well and, and K is is witnessing that and Sean is witnessing that and um and and so to your point like it it stays with them and it 
and it ripples. And yet, because it was thousands and thousands of miles away with this person that they're no longer seeing on a day-to-day basis when they get back, um, it's like, how do you address or talk about, how do, how do these boys who don't have the language for it talk about this stuff that is, in a way, felt like one long nightmare to them? Um, but isolated. But like, I mean, you say, it's like, I think it's easier to compartmentalize it when the perpetrator is thousands and thousands of miles away and is not a part of their day-to-day. It's easier to just sort of bury it, move on, play yeah. basketball, <laughs> go to school, yeah. you know, go to the LA River or skateboard, whatever it is, you know, like I think it's... it's And also like uh, announce, like I know this is something that Sean says to Kay in the book, he's like, because because the intention for, for the boys, they were, their, their life was supposed to be in Iran. Um, start school there, start a whole new life there, blah, blah, blah. And, 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 and because in part, you know, of the, of the aunt, like that didn't happen. And so when they're back, I think there's also the kind of recognition, like a, that was isolated, but B, like, look how good we have it here relative to what could have been. So whatever it is that happened in that isolated incident, like we're good. <laughs> we've made it back to the valley we're in los angeles like we have a chance we have a chance yeah no doubt so i'm interested in hearing you talk about the iranian diaspora in los angeles which is considerable uh there's a lot of uh, iranian uh, immigrants in los angeles what do they call tarantulas right isn't that or tarantulas is is a you know is a term here and I'm interested in the, like your perception of the cultural like shifts and differences or similarities between what you've experienced in Iran versus what you've experienced among members of the Iranian diaspora in Los Angeles. Like, obviously if people are moving to the States, they're assimilating here and they have some sense of wanting something different than what you might get in a more closed society in Iran, a more patriarchal society in Iran. But yet I'm sure there are elements of that culture that that come here as well. Did you have to navigate any of that growing up or did you sense that in Los Angeles among the diaspora? Yeah, it's such a, I, I, like, as I'm sort of taking in that question, like I, and I, this is just honest. I don't even know where to, where the fuck to even begin <laughs> with that because it's so, it's so like nuanced and tangled and there are so many different elements to it. What, what I will say is, um, it, you know, and, and you know this and you've spoken on it, like Los Angeles is sprawling. And so even if there is a big community of of any minority or ethnic group, it's seen, and, and I'm just referring to this from my own experience, like you, if you're not living, like, I believe there are a lot of Iranian Americans when like post-revolution who moved to the West side and, and Westwood and um, so if you're not living in proximity of that, uh, it could be hard to access that if you're, let's say, growing up in the Valley or also within Iran, like uh, being Iranian Jewish is a very different experience that comes with different mores and, and values than being Iranian Muslim. And so that, and that, and, and that's just one aspect of it. Um, and then within, within like being Muslim, it's like, are you Shia? Are you, are you Sunni? And that has very different experiences. So. And, and class, and I, I think I'm, I'm just trying to articulate like why it's so hard to talk about. I, I and, think, yeah, it's not uniform. 
it's not uniform. And in a way, like growing up, I, I kind of wished it, I kind of wished it were because especially after coming back from Iran and, and being within the country and like there were certain, there's definitely like so many positive things. And I, and I, and I did, you know, we would go to, we call them Mahmoudines, which is basically translates to like gatherings where there's dancing and, and music and food and, um, and so I got to be a part of, of that and celebrate um, Iranian culture in, in, in that way. Um, but that was like few and far between. Um, and I think that's why I, I gravitated to like those who were literally within proximity to me, regardless of, of their background or, or their race. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, I'm trying to think. There's not like, I mean, there are different neighborhoods in Los Angeles. Like there's Thai town. And there's like uh, Filipino town and Chinatown. And, but when we talk about the Iranian diaspora, I don't, is there, is there a neighborhood? I mean, you mentioned the West side, but there's not like really like a, cause I mean, these parts of town in Los Angeles, there's, there's like signs like, you know, designating that this is Chinatown or this is Thai town. But I don't, I don't have yeah. any reference for anything. Like there's not Iranian town. I think recently, like I remember being like heading south on the on the 405 just before you get off of um the exit uh yeah just before you guys of uh of sunset which i guess is like the exit you take if you were going to ucla for instance and i remember seeing a sign of like persian square so um i think there's beginning to yeah they're beginning to develop kind of a, a neighborhood and and have yeah like like we have k-town right and, you know like right said, all these but yeah things. and and if you're living out in the valley even if there were a neighborhood like that if you're not living in it then you don't have proximity and you don't have proximity to it then you're probably not going to have as as a nuanced of a sense of what what's going on in the diaspora anyway but when i think about your book i think about the sections uh involving being muslim and going to the i'm going to blank on the name of the what do you call the the mosque right you go to the mosque is that right or is is, mm -hmm. is there another right, word yeah, for it yeah that, well, we we say masjid like in it's you're speaking natively, but but the yeah um, mosque is perfect. okay. Well, that would be maybe the the most direct and immediate experience, like in the Los Angeles sections of the book, where Kay is kind of looking at uh, other members of the diaspora and interacting with grownups and maybe getting a sense of the culture as it ex as it exists yeah. here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and then and then yeah, to your point, like the way within within mosque and encountering those people, like their relationship to their Iranianness, or or if they're from other countries within the Middle East, like that is a very different depiction than if you're going to a Iranian gathering or a celebration with their, you know, and and, and if that gathering like there's this kind of opulence to it and, 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 and both are equally both. There's not a person to say one is more true than the other, like both exist. And so I think for, yeah, for Kay to be seeing that unfold, like, okay. And, and he's sort of, I think, trying to gather like, which, which parts of these like resonate the deepest, the truest for me, who, who do I want to be? How do I want to present with the, with the, like, as I'm seeing it, uh, I'm seeing representations of it around. So how, like, just for you personally, like what, how was that aspect of your life growing up? And like, where have you landed today with 
that sort of stuff. Do you have any kind of like spiritual connection to uh, Islam? And yeah, to this day, like when I look back, and and of course, like um, because so much of my, you know, as as like you've talked about with Catholicism, like it's it's there's no there's not a lot of uh, volition in the matter, you know, of like as a young person, you know, have, carving your own relationship to it. And so there is like that aspect of just like, yeah, we're going to Friday prayer. Yeah, we're going to Quran study. Like this isn't, there's no, there's no choice. Like this is what we do. And then later on, um, and particularly like when I went back to Iran and was my, was with my grandfather, who was a very, was um, a very religious man. And, and I say this not like ironically, but also a very kind man. And, and to me, early on, those seem to be uh, mutually exclusive and to see them embodied in, in one person, um, an Islamic man who's also very generous and kind and open-minded. Um, when I returned, I, I fell back into like the ritual of namaz, of, of, of prayer. Um, I've always, maybe out of desperation, um, have always believed in, in God and obviously it I'm also in, I'm, I'm sober, I'm also in AA, and I know there's like a lot of um, call about higher power. And and thankfully, I know a lot of people in sobriety struggle with that, um, accepting that higher power. For me, I was just like, oh, yeah, I, I think I've been reaching for this higher power for a very long time. Um, so it was nice to kind of fall back into that. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So when, like this book, I mean, I don't want to spoil too much, but it tracks a lot of your life trajectory, like maybe not in a one-for-one way, but you did leave Los Angeles and go to New York, right? You got your education in New York, Mm -hmm. at least partially, right? Partially, yeah, much, much later um, in my life when I was 20, I was, uh, I would have been 20, 20 You moved to New York. Mm -hmm. When did you come out? Uh, around that, uh, around that same okay, time. I figured I was going to yeah. guess that I should have yeah. said it. Cause then I would have sounded cool, but I, f- you know, there's like these, there are these, it's like a, <laughs> it's, I don't mean to be blasphemous. It's like the Holy, there, there is just these like elements, like coming out as queer, but also as wanting to be a writer, like wanting to be an artist. And then also with my name, like I, most of my life I went by, particularly after 9-11, but even before I went by my middle, my middle name, I went by Josh, I went by Joshua, you know, which is its own story of where that middle name came from. But it was also not until I got to New York where I started going back by my birth name, Kashayar by Kash. Um, and so it all kind of, I guess if you do reclaim one, like really important part of yourself, others may, What's the uh, origin of the name Kashayar? Is it is it named after? A, I think it's it's alluded to Xerxes. So it would be it would be a Persian uh, a Persian, Persian king. king. So yeah. you're named after royalty. I mean, that's not so bad, right? <laughs> which has its yeah, which, which comes with its own baggage. But I'm told that all the time. Like within the Iranian community, it's like 
you have no idea where your name comes from or like the power it has and this and that. It's like, okay, all right. Well, there's a lot going on in this book when it comes to coming of age and the forces that are being brought to bear against this family and really any immigrant family, you know, there's a lot of challenges that come along with that. But, you know, you also have uh, like these young boys and Kay in particular who are, is coming of age against this backdrop of abuse and this very difficult uh, relationship with the father who is mostly absent and maybe thankfully absent. But then, as you just said, they're also coming of age in a country that is reeling from this great national trauma of 9-11, which uh, of course has huge, or had and continues to have, but really had in the early aughts, uh, enormous implications for Muslim Americans and those communities. Mm -hmm. So that adds an element of complication. On top of the fact that Kay is also struggling with uh, coming to grips with his sexuality. Like, Mm -hmm. that's a full slate. Yeah. 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 I, again, and, 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 you know, this is, this is where I, there were, yeah, there was just this really big want and desire to, to show somebody contending, not not that like any one of those things wouldn't have been plenty, but how do, how does one possibly uh, survive that? And also, also turn it to somebody halfway decent that doesn't harm other people. You know, I also like wanted to show that, like I wanted to show like somebody who's like enduring all these things where, and, and there are, there are certain circumstances would lead to them like growing up into adulthood and like perpetuating this, this stuff, but like showing somebody who's continues to gesture towards like, there's gotta be a different way of coping with this other than violence, other than racism, other than homophobia, you know, all these things that we like could readily turn to because it's certain, certainly given to us. But um, it felt important to me to sort of include, include it all. I, I, it felt like it would be dishonest to not show all the things that Kay was. Well, and then there's the issue of substance, which you just brought up. You know, you said that you're sober. It makes sense to me considering what we're talking about, all these dif- different uh, layers of trauma and difficulty and uh, just all these obstacles that you were facing. It makes sense to me that you might turn to, say, alcohol and drugs to cope, <laughs> you know, or to try to kind of turn off maybe some of the emotional pain, like numb yourself out, right? And then also... Yeah, or quite frankly, just fucking check out, like, die, you know, it's like, you know, you get it, you, yeah, that, that's, yeah, just to your point, like, that's why there's no, there's no world where I can have a relationship with it, because I, I certainly, when I was drinking, and it's like, <laughs> it's like the way I'm, the, what I'm coming to this with is very different than, like, my friends around me, or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and, and thank God, like, I got that message loud and clear and, and have the tools yet and the support to, to stay sober because it certainly isn't, you know, to this day, like I'm on my way to the market or whatever and I'm walking by a bar and, or, you know, that smell that like a mid-afternoon yes. bar has and it's <laughs> kind of, ooh, yeah. It's like, 10 whiskey needs, please. Let's just get straight yeah, to the yeah. point, you know, like I won't even sit yeah. here and pretend. Um, so, 
but I, yeah, I know where do you, when go. did you get sober? Um, again, New York, man. Like I, I, before I moved there, I was like, these bars stay open till four. You could take the subway bouncing from bar to bar. Don't have to even worry about the UI and all that stuff. And I knew that if I didn't get, if I were, if I went to New York as someone who drinks, like it, it wouldn't have stood a chance. So been about five years, um, 31 now. Yeah. And you, five okay. Years. So, I mean, it's been a big, big five years for you. You get sober, you come out, you get come your out. MFA at Columbia and you write your debut novel. I don't think any of this happens if you, I don't think anything with this book happens if you don't come out and get sober. No, I tell my, I tell that to people all the time and, and people that I meet in the program or other loved ones, like continue, like whether it's 90 days, a year that they have two years, three years, 30 years, like anytime there's a, an achievement of some kind or, or, or again, just like the fact that you wake up and brush your teeth and face the world. I'm like, that doesn't exist without sobriety. None of this does. Um, so I, I, I just, I say that to say like, I, I couldn't agree And more. adjusting like to these, these new realities as they pertain to your family and like having them adjust to these new realities along with you or, or not. Like, I mean, what is it like to, navigate that like you know like did you have to leave i feel like having some physical distance might help give you a sense of independence and kind of having your own life and identity and time and space to sort of deal with this stuff but well this goes back to your very first question about um or maybe i yeah i just i kind of brought it up the complicated relationship with california and i think this like on one hand there's such a celebrated gay and, and queer community within Los Angeles. And so on one hand, it's like, I actually don't have to leave. I'm fortunate enough that like where I, where I grew up, there so happens to be a celebrated community here for me as I'm coming out. And yet because of like past trauma or, or family dynamics or my own, my own experiences, my own private personal experiences, it did seem that like, even if there is a community where I could reach out to, I did have to leave other aspects of that community in order to have a chance to, to come out also to get, to get sober, to stay sober. I also don't think I would have been able to stay sober had I, had I not left Los Angeles because of everything that sure. I was dealing with. So if like you look back on yourself, like, you know, 13 year old Kosh, 15 year old Kosh, you know, like, what would you say? Do you know what I'm saying? What do you say to like a young person who might be in a similar situation? Yeah. Well, yeah. On one hand, like I, I wish, you know, I don't know, Brad, like I, I, I agree with that. And on the other hand, it's like, this is just very honest. This is just very, I would try out like, I would, I would to have, a loving childhood, not that like childhood inherently in adolescence isn't like fraught because of just by nature. But if I, if I could sort of have a different way, like I would have chosen that, you know, any, any, any day to. You would yeah, have chosen what? You know, to be able to have conversations with, with a father, you know, in a loving way to be able to have conversations with the mother, to, to be supported, you know, these kinds of things that a young person needs to, 
to stand the chance to like to have a foundation um to go out into the world and um and i've been lucky enough and privileged enough to like build that as i'm going now like you said especially in the last five years but you know there's a lot of ripples that come from that and having to get to that that point in in one's adulthood rather than like when i i'm assuming a lot of your novel and, and your the auto fiction i'm assuming a lot of it is pulled from your own most of it experiences as a father and when i look at the way that you your relationship with your kids i'm like yeah they're gonna have challenges as it is and especially between your daughter and son like very distinct challenges but with that love and support it's a whole different experience when they become adults than somebody that doesn't have a father like yourself or other fathers i mean it's easy to overlook that like that alone i think it's easy as a parent to just feel like you're failing no matter how hard you're trying or how well you're doing <laughs> you know it's just kind of baked into the cake you know it's just a it's a humbling experience and it's hard you know but Brad, when I say I lost my shit, like I was, I was a puddle. I when there's the part of the book where, um, I'm, it's it's a like a, a fundraiser, a marathon oh, fundraiser right. at yeah. the daughter's school, uh, and 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 the the narrator and his wife are there with with Oscar, and I think the the child, the like the peer, the student's name is like Ezra, who comes like yeah. he's doing laps. And he comes up to the one, he gives Oscar a high five. And then he looks at Brad, the narrator's wife, and wife, and he's like, you know, uh, it's really, it must be really hard. You're doing a great <laughs> job or something along those lines. Just, I just lost it because those are the moments that it's easy to maybe overlook, but as you rendered it in the novel, it's like, if we can just sit with that for a minute and let us feel that like we're doing a much better job than we give ourselves credit for. Well, yeah. Oh, that and just like seeing other people. I mean, like it was just that, that was like just a moment of being seen by a kid, which actually did happen. Some version of that happened to me where you're like, you know, there are certain years, like it was very difficult raising my son, like emotionally difficult in the ages of like two and three, because all of his peers were walking and he wasn't. And then there was a time where he had to be in this walker device. And so you go out in public and it's just like all the parents are just kind of looking sadly at you, but nobody's talking to you. And you know, like, you're just sort of there and you're watching all these kids run. It was like this school event where all these kids are doing laps. And then your son is like in this walker, like just barely scooting and nobody's talking to you. And you're just sort of standing there. And then this like eight year old boy comes up to you and he's just like, hey, and he gives your kid a high five and he looks at you and he's like, must be hard. And like both my wife and I just start crying, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, but it's like, it's also sort of a, I mean, it's sort of an indictment of adults, to be honest with you. I mean, I think if a nine-year-old boy can figure it out and have like the emotional insight and the, uh, just the decency to say something, you know, but trust me, I mean, you, you've been there, I'm sure in, in certain aspects of your life where like, you're isolated. Maybe we, we all do at some point, you know, feel that way. But kids have some, certain kids anyway, have a good heart wisdom. Well, that goes just, to, I want to go back to what you said earlier about like uh, my, thir you know, 13 or 15 year old self, like what would I tell him or, or, or for any young person, like contending with difficult circumstances. And, and this, I remember 
I remember one night in particular, as like all of this was just sort of circulating through my mind, I was asleep on the floor. My, my mom was beside me and had to be up early for, for her shift. And I think I had just gotten either suspended or asked, just asked not to come back uh, to school. So this would have been middle school. And I remember just like fucking sobbing because I felt that who I wanted to be and also like who I wanted to be for myself, but also as a young person, but also who I wanted to be for my mom, somebody who was working so hard, was at such odds with, with the reality of things. And there was like, I don't know if it's a, a imagination or what it was, but I started narrating to myself a reality where who I was and, and the way that I was being was starkly different from how the, re the moment to moment reality actually was. And I, there was something like really sweet and powerful about having access to that, to that voice. I remember in, um, in her novel, uh, Lucy by the Sea, Elizabeth Strout, like she imagines the voice of, um, the, the mother that she's always wanted. And so like, she, she'll have like conversations, she'll be like, and this is as an, as an adult in the novel, she's like, mom, I'm really struggling. She'll announce and then, and then the imagined mother will speak back to her and be like, it's okay. It's okay. Like I understand. And so having that kind of dialogue, even if it's not happening in real time around you, I think it could be like such a, such a comfort to like work toward. Oh, that's interesting. It's a interesting that kind of writerly tendency to narrate your way out of it or to narrate an alternate reality or an alternate version of yourself that transcends these difficulties or to imagine as Strout does in that novel, which I love by the way, is, uh, to imagine characters or di different versions of people in your life, uh, you know, and to dialogue with them. I don't know if everybody does that or if just writers do that, but there's worse things you could do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just felt like such a, um, it felt almost like I was, yeah, had like hidden into something like mischief, like had tapped into something mischievous. Because yeah, it's 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 all just like you know, you're just again, it's imagination, and yet it feels so real when you're narrating those things, and yet it could be the very thing that like gets you to where it is that you you want to be, and and um, and I thought that was like it was kind of like this this superpower that was unlocked is the way I felt it was. Well, kudos to you for getting here to this point with this book being published and for making it through five years of sobriety. I think the two things like we talked about are definitely related and for finding your way kind of to yourself and to, you know, being yourself in this place. Um, you know, I know it hasn't been a simple road and I'm wondering, I know you're celebrating your debut here, but I always ask people if they have anything else cooking, like, are you moving on to the next project already? Or do you have some idea of what it might be? Yeah, as, as we do, you know, as I'm sure you, you know, as you've talked about like playing, playing with sentences, you know, playing with sentences and, um, sort of listening for a voice or a tone that really lat like seems to have roots um and so i've i've been as i can i've been spending time with that but nothing's really like taking form or i don't have any kind of clarified like outline or idea of, of what's going to come next 
All right. Well, I have enjoyed talking with you. Congratulations on the novel, and I wish you the best of luck on whatever it is that comes next once it does come into shape, or you might once it once uh, you start hearing the right voice. I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. It was a pleasure. Appreciate you having me. All right, you guys, there we go. That was my conversation with Kashiar J. Kavashani. His debut novel is called I Will Greet the Sun Again, available now from Hogarth Press. You can find him online at kashiarjkabashani.com. Again, the book is called I Will Greet the Sun Again. Go get your copy immediately. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. You can also subscribe on YouTube, follow the show on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Blue Sky. You can join the Other People Patreon community at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Sign up for my newsletter at otherppl.com or bradlisty.com. Get an Other People t-shirt at otherppl.com. And if you have a couple of minutes, you want to do me a small favor, rate this podcast wherever you listen. Write a little review. If that's an option, it helps the show in the algorithm. It helps it find new listeners. If you have feedback for me, the email address for the Other People podcast is letters at otherppl.com. And finally, a quick plug for my latest novel. It is called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything, available now in trade paperback, ebook, and audiobook editions. I narrate the audiobook. So if you want to read my novel, it's called Be Brief and tell them everything. It's out there waiting for you. So coming up next on The Other People Show on Wednesday, I will be in conversation with Lydia Kiesling. Her new novel, Mobility, is out there now. It's superb. I had a great time catching up with Lydia Kiesling. That is happening on Wednesday. So 